Yeah.
every infection to be dried up in the name of Jesus. We bring every baby before you. We thank you for healing over her body. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. We believe in you, God, that you are able to do exceedingly abundantly. Above all, we can think, ask, or even imagine. Now over every home and every household. I come against every attack of the enemy that tries to sow seeds of discord. Father, that tries to sow seeds of confusion. Father, every, every spirit of the enemy that tries to infiltrate the minds, infiltrate the lives of your loved ones and the children of God. I speak of God, the divine hand of God. We break every work of the enemy. Though the enemy comes in as a flood, tonight we raise up a standard against the enemy. Nothing will steal the joy of the family. Nothing will steal the peace in their home. We declare the shalom of God over every household, over every marriage, over every family. In the name of Jesus, nothing lost. Nothing broken, just the favor and the prosperity of God in Jesus' name. So we understand today that you are moving on our behalf. We pray, O oh God, for loved ones and family members whose faith has been in this hour. I pray today, O oh God, bring them back. That we will never be too proud to admit that we need God. That we will never get too, too self-consumed. That we would be, have no space for God in our lives. Today we come before you, Lord, and we say, Lord, help us. We pray for our nation. We pray for our country right now. We pray for the leadership of the, of the country. We pray, oh God, this, oh God, protect us as a nation. Look upon the faces, oh God, of your sons and daughters. And remember us again. Deliver us, O oh God. And whatever the weapon of the enemy is against our nation, it will be confounded in the name of Jesus. It will be confounded. We declare that South Africa belongs to Jesus. We declare that all of the people that belong in that are part of this lovely nation belongs to Jesus. We declare, O oh God, that you reign over South Africa. You reign over the life of your people in the name of Jesus. You call us your sons and your daughters, daughters, Lord, and you remember us again. So we bless you today. Thank you, God, for this moment. Thank you for this hour. We give you the praise. We give you the glory. We give you the honor. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. And amen. You may be seated. Amen. God bless you. Amen. It's good to see all of you here tonight. Amen. Remember, this is our prayer meeting and our Bible study. So we use the time to just intercede for our nation. I want you to get into the habit of praying for families, praying for loved ones in this hour. Um, one of the, the greatest challenges right now is the challenge against the family. 
and against the principles of our families. Amen. And so may the Lord just help us and may the Lord just speak to us. I want to speak to you this evening on submitting to God and we're going to look at the book of James chapter 4 and um, James is uh, not, not always the easiest book to look at because uh, James deals with the rubber beating the road issues. He doesn't deal with the fancy issues, he deals with the, the issues that are practical and the issues that are relevant to people. He starts off in James chapter 1 and he speaks about trials and temptations. And he talks about developing an attitude of persevering. And then he speaks about learning how to listen and how to do what God is saying to us. He says everyone uh, should, should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce righteousness that God desires. Amen. That's that as plain as they can come. Yeah. Amen. Because he's not talking about the hairy fairy, yeah. uh, you know, aspects of Christian walk. He, he's dealing with the, the aspects of how does this faith become practical? How does this faith become demonstrated in the in the way that we live? And he says we've got to bring our men members under the subjection. Then he talks about favoritism. And he talks about that favoritism should be, uh, he, he said, he said my, uh, my, in second, uh, in, J in James chapter 2, he said, My brothers and sisters, believers in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. And he, and he goes on to explain it. He says, don't look at the outward appearance of somebody and treat them differently because they wear good uh, gold uh, jewelry and they wear fine clothing. And then you look at someone that is filthy and, and dirty and you respond to them differently. He brings it to practical aspects that affects our lives. We, 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 he's challenging how do we make our faith practical. He, he, he comes to that place. Then he talks about faith and deeds. He says, what, is, uh, what, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith and has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one says to them, go in peace, keep warm and be well fed, but does nothing up to, about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith itself, it, it, it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So he, he comes back and a statement that is often quoted in church, faith without works is dead. So he comes in and he makes the statement and he says, if you see a need, address it. Yeah. Then he comes in chapter 3 and he says, now, tame your tongue. Mm. Amen. Mm. He comes there and he says, now, 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 now understand uh, you, 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 uh, that you need to control what you speak. He says, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that he who teaches will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in ways. Anyone who is never at fault, who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. Able to keep their whole body in check. When, when you put bits into your mouth of horses, we make them to obey us. We can turn a whole animal. Or we can take ships, for example, and he says you can you can steer them. But he comes in verses 6 and, uh, of chapter 3 and he says, 
The tongue is also the tongue also is a fire. The world of evil amongst among the, the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, it sets the whole course of one's life, it sets itself on fire by hell. The, you know he, he talks he talks in harsh terms. But James was one of those those that challenged us now that you've received faith, now that you've received this glorious grace of God, you've received this salvation, how does it work out in our lives? It, he starts to challenge us and then he talks about the two kinds of wisdom. He talks about the wisdom of the world and the wisdom that comes from heaven. And now we are coming in chapter 4 and that's where I want to speak to you today about in submitting yourself to God. So if you have your Bibles, let's look there. I'm going to read from the Amplified Version. It may look a little bit different from the screen, but I want to assure you there's certain emphasis that I want to bring to certain verses of Scripture. We're in verses 1. It says, What leads to the unending quarrels and conflicts among you? So he's, he's bringing something in and he says, What is the thing that brings us brings conflict amongst us and brings quarrels amongst us. So he's saying, let's be real. Yeah. There's some stuff that comes in yeah. Yeah. and it causes division. It causes strife even within the body. He says, they do not come from your desires. Uh, he says, he's asking the question, do they not come from your desires that wage war in your body, in your members? fighting for control over you. So he's saying this conflict that has now crept into the body of Christ is not a conflict that has come in through an outside source. It has come through you. And it is an internal conflict that is now finding a manifestation externally. And he's saying this is not good. He's saying this kind of conflict, he says this is, he says they come from what, from, oh sorry, do they not come from your hedonistic desires? Now, hedonism was a, was a way of living where people prioritize pleasure and happiness over everything. So all you did is what, you, you, you pursue the things that bring you pleasure and the things that bring you happiness at the cost of everything else. You just want to feel happy. And you want to just feel pleasure out of everything. So not, it doesn't matter what, how everybody else feels. It doesn't matter what happens in the lives of other people. It only matters what is for you. Yeah. It's not really different from the world that we live in today. How many people are in it just for themselves? Many marriages go through major pressure because the focus is only on yourself. Yeah. If you're in a marriage and the one spouse only focuses on themselves, the other spouse is under pressure. So you've got to understand that this is where he's coming to the place and he says, this brings an internal conflict. And then he says, you are jealous and covet what others have and your lust goes unfulfilled. So you mad, you are envious and cannot obtain. 
the object of, of your envy so that you fight and battle. You do not have because you do not ask it of God. You ask God for something and do not receive it because you ask with wrong motives, with out of selfish and unrighteous agendas so that you can get what you want and spend it on your own hedonistic desires. Yeah. How many times have we said, sometimes you ask, and you do not receive. You ask and you have not. And the reason you do not have is because you ask and the Bible says you ask amiss. Why is God saying you ask amiss? You're asking for things that is not in accordance of God. It's not for the purposes of God. It's to fulfill your own selfish desires. So now it starts to come back to the place of what am I asking when I pray? Am I just asking for things for myself? Am I asking for things to fulfill my own agenda? The Bible says you're asking, but your motives for asking as well. He's challenging that should God give you what you desire? Because what you desire is not for the purposes of the kingdom. What you desire is for yourself. And so you're not you're asking from a point of stewardship. Lord, give me so that I can steward this and be a blessing to the lives of others, a blessing. No, no, you're saying, help me to help myself. And some of us want to know why do we pursue certain things? And the thing that we pursue always eludes us. That means there are some people that chase after finance and money and all, the more they chase after it, the more they do not get it. Yeah. That means they chase after it, but it never ever materializes in their life. And this is the important part about it, is that we've come to the place that we've asked, and the Bible says we ask them as, why? Because you ask just for yourself. When you say, God give me this, God do this in my life, why are you asking so that you'll be recognized. What is your motive for asking it? Now he's coming to the place where he's saying, now check your motive while you're asking for it. You know, some of us, when we, when we were in school and you're getting ready to write the exams, you say, Lord, help me. Help me to pass this exam. It, some of it was just to help me. But in terms of it, what, am, what is God, my success in my career, my success in the different aspects of my life, the success of our marriage, how does it produce something in the kingdom? How does it produce greatness in the kingdom? You've got to come to the place where you tie in the things that is happening into your life to how it begins to find its expression in the kingdom. So your success in your career should not be that you be seen or you be recognized. Or, or some accolade that comes to you. But it should be, oh God, that you will be glorified in me. That others will be able to see my Father which is in me. And what God is doing in my life. And I will become a channel of blessing. Amen. Other than that, we're asking, and this is what he says, this is what causes the conflicts even in the body of Christ. He, he, he goes on to say, he says, you are envious and cannot obtain the object of your, your envy. And because you do not do that, 
you start to fight and you battle. How many of you know that some of the things that we are fighting is because of an inner, inner conflict that we have? It's because we do not have peace in ourselves. We don't want anyone else around us to have peace. There are some people that just stir up conflict. You know, there are some people in the homes that only want conflict because they believe if they're this thing, then they can become in as a problem solver. And if there's no problem, it means that they've got no value. So some people just stir up nonsense in their own homes. I'm not talking about just externally. I'm saying, let's start at home. Some people just want to be a saint. You know, sometimes, uh, how many of us, or most of us have adult children, and there comes a stage when they start to need, your children start to need you less. How do we handle that? Sometimes we try to do things to make ourselves needed. Come on. We got to come to that place where he's talking about us and he says, become aware of it. He says, you ask and you do not receive what you ask because you ask with the wrong motives. You ask to fulfill your own, des your own desires. He goes on in verse 4. He says, you are an adulterous people. And he, he goes on to qualify this. He's not talking about it as if you are, you, you are having external or extramarital affairs. He's, he's coming, he says, you're an adulterous, disloyal sinners flirting with the world and breaking your vow with God. Do you not know that being the world's friend and loving the things of the world is being an enemy with God? He says, whoever chooses to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So he comes in and he brings the, the, this matter and he says, now come on, how much of the things of the world that you love? And he says, it's almost as if you are in an adulterous relationship with God. You're saying, I'm married to God. I have this relationship with God, but I have this extramarital affair with the world. That's why he calls you an adult. He's not talking about you being a, 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 a someone that is unfaithful in your marriage. He's saying you're unfaithful to God. He's un and, and he says, he goes on to qualify, how are you unfaithful to God? He says, you love the things of the world. I'm not you sometimes, when you get together with your friends, you talk about your good old days. I used to do this. I used to be the coolest guy to hang out with. When I used to, when I used to drink, everyone used to be happy around me. <coughs> it's not the good old days. You're flirting with the things of the world. How many of you make jokes about different things? Someone gives you a coke, you say, hey, you need more beers here. Flirt. Don't flirt with the things of the world. Because we give mixed messages. And the Bible says, yeah. we come, come, come to the place where we, we're comfortable with this. He says, you, you, he says, you're adulterous, disloyal. You're flirting with the things of the world. He's saying, he says, you didn't do it. Yeah. You see, some of us say, you know, no, Pastor, I'm not drinking. I'm not, I'm not hanging out with my friends. I'm not doing this. But he says, you're flirting. You, you're saying how good that life is. Yeah. 
and yet you're in relationship with me. It's like you, I'm married to Annie and I'm saying somebody else is more beautiful. Yeah. And I said, there's nothing wrong because I'm married yet. What's wrong? Can you still? James is saying, you're flirting with God. Yeah. You're in relationship with God and yet you're desiring the things of this world. Come on. Anything of this world. Don't love the things of this world. Amen. We got to get to that place where we're not loving the things of this world. We're loving our God. Yes. What is important to Him? Come on. If we're gonna come out of this pandemic, we must come out as better people. Yes, amen. Things that we allow to slip and slide. You know, the little sipping saints and, you know, a little bit here and a little bit there. And we, we do this when we were friends and we do that when we were other company. We, you know, come on. It's, it's no longer tolerant. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to give an account for my life. Yeah. This, this, this joking and gesturing and, and, and telling rude jokes just because nobody else is around. I'm not doing it in church. I'm doing it elsewhere. The foolishness of this world when it comes into our lives. We've got a, we got a challenge. Yes. We've got to deal with this. Amen. You can have fun and be a Christian. Yeah. Amen. You can have fun and be a Christian. You don't have to stoop to the place where the things of the world. And don't get to the place where you are straddling the lines between whether the fact is whether you're a believer or you're not a believer. You've got to come to the place where you have to understand you yourself, every adult that is in this room, every adult that is listening to me has to give an account for their lives. And if you've got minor children, you're going to give an account for your children. So how you live your life before your children, you're going to give an account for that child. Whether that child has an ability to enjoy salvation because of your living. Come on. This is what's going to get us to the place. He, he begins to talk to us. He's saying you, you're praying but you're asking amiss. That means your prayers are going unanswered. Yes. You want to know the secret between what, what causes your prayers not to be answered? The Bible says if I, if I desire iniquity and sin in my heart, God will not hear me. Yes. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Let, let's deal with the thing. And remember, this is not about public sins, and, 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 and there are certain extrovert things that we that that we that, that we, we, we always identify and we always focus on. But there are certain things that are deep seated in our hearts that God is saying to you, "I judge the intents of your heart." God doesn't judge just your external things that what you say and what you do. Let what you say, what you do, be the same person that you are. Amen. Come to that place where we come before our God and understand that our God is holy. And the Bible says, Be ye holy, for I am holy, saith the Lord. James is starting to challenge us and he says to us, Don't have this adulterous kind of relationship. It's almost similar to, 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 to Joshua and Moses challenging the people. He says, If God be God, serve him. We've got to come to that place where we, where we begin to come before God. And he says, whoever chooses to be a friend of this world makes himself an enemy of God. 
So there's no gray area. Amen. There's no gray area. He says, verses 5, he says, or, or do you think that the scripture says there is no purpose? That a human spirit which he has made to dwell in, in us lusts with envy. He says he gives us more and more grace through the power of the Holy Spirit to defy sin. Therefore, it, it, it says, God is opposed to the proud and the haughty, but he continuously gives the gift of grace to the humble who turn themselves away, away from self-righteousness. Then he goes in verse 7 and says, Now submit to God. Submit to the authority of God. Resist the devil. Stand firm against him and he will flee from you. Come close to God with a contrite heart and he will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your, your, your unfaithful hearts, you double-minded people. Amen. He's coming to the place where he's saying, there's restoration for you. Yeah. God is just waiting for you. He said, he said, yes, you messed up. Yes, you, yes you, you made some mistakes. But he says, God gives grace, the gift of grace to the humble. What is he saying? Don't become so proud yeah. in, the, in thinking that the way that you're thinking, the way that you're living is sufficient for you. Get to the place where you acknowledge this is not right. This is not for me. I want more. I want different. Come on. How many of you want more? How many of you want to experience open heavens over your life? When God begins to speak and when you begin to pray, God answers and God hears you and He will He, will, he responds to you. God responds to the humble. He says, but God is opposed to. Other versions of scripture, even the King James says, God hates the proud and the haughty, but He gives grace to the humble. That means... To somebody that acknowledges, Lord, I've sinned, I've come short, I've messed up in this area. All of us have to continuously understand that there are areas of our lives that are continuously engaged. Me, my, myself included. There are some, some things that I have to come before God and say, is this about me? Is this about you? We have to come to that place where we come and we say, God, we need, I humble myself before you. The Bible says when you submit to God, and resist the devil. You submit to God and resist the devil. What does it mean to resist the devil? To stand firm against him. That means you have to say, devil, you have no hold over this area in my life. If you identify the area in your life that is left you exposed, say the devil has no access here. Amen? So you come to that place and he says you come before God. He says, be miserable, grieve, and uh, verses 9, and weep over your sin. Let your foolish laughter be turned into mourning, and, uh, 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 for, for, uh, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves with an attitude of repentance and insignificance in the presence of the Lord, and He will exalt you. He says you have to come to the place where you have to bring your body yes. under the subjection and say, God, I need you in this area. What is he saying? He's saying there's a way out. If you recognize that your desires have not been in, an, in alignment to the word of the Lord, 
if you recognize that your actions have not been in alignment to the purposes of God, you have to do something to correct it. It's not just something about recognizing. That's why he says, submit to God and then resist the devil. That means you've got to do something about it. You've got to do something about it. You've got to come to the place where you're resisting the devil. How do you resist him? Like how Jesus did in the wilderness. He says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It is written, he will give his angels charge concerning me. It is written, you, how do you resist the devil? You speak what God has already said over your life and what God has already meant over your life. This is how you begin. I want you to understand this because we, we're coming into a place where we say, God, there's more accountability. You know, you know, for someone that gets a second chance at living, you know, somebody had an illness and they, and they recover from it. What happens? The first thing an illness does is it gives you a change of perspective. It also gives a, you a change of priorities. It tells you this is more important for me. And then what it requires of you? It requires of you to do something different from what you are doing. That means if you know uh, uh, maybe my lifestyle contributed to my illness, what do I do? The first thing you do is start changing your lifestyle. Why? Because you're saying, I do not want to experience what I experienced before. Amen? As a church, God is giving us a second chance. Amen. Something that dropped in my spirit and I was sharing with someone the other day, another man of God, and we were talking and as we were, we were talking, the Lord, you know, in, in the early 1900s, there was what we call the Azusa Street Revival that led to a, a great Pentecostal move what we have today in terms of Pentecostal churches. And you know, you've got mainline churches like your Anglican and your Catholic churches and whatever. And then you've got Presbyterian churches and then you've got your Pentecostal churches. We have different denominations. You can have the AFM and have the full gospel church and all of those things. You can have independent churches like us. But all of it has come as a result of a move of God yeah. in the early 1900s and a Pentecostal move. So anyone that believes in speaking in tongues, Holy Ghost filled, fire baptized, you know, all of those things, you, you get to that place where you understand we're the Pentecostal church. And if you look at it, that Pentecostal move lasted over 100 years. And after the 100 years, there's a pandemic that causes an adjustment. And I believe that we as the present day church, have an awesome responsibility to set the pace for what will happen in the next hundred years yeah. in the church. So there needs to come to the back to the place of holiness. One of the, the things in the move of the uh, on the Pentecostal move was a was a holiness move. It was a lot about righteousness. I came from a holiness church. Uh, and, and, and the theology within the holiness church, you know, you had to have your hair covered, couldn't cut your hair, you had to wear long dresses, you never used to wear pants, you wore pants, and, oh Jesus, <laughs> lay hands on you, not too much makeup, 
not too much jewelry, not too much bling, you know, all of those things. I mean, if a pastor dressed like me and came to church, you would be prayed for. <laughs> Amen. So, but the, the emphasis was a lot on the external pastor. Yeah. But the challenge was the internal heart condition. I'm saying all of those things drove us to a certain place. But we know that to whom much is given, much is required. Yes. Yeah. What are, what are we doing as the present day 2021, 20, 21st century church, setting the trend for the next 100 years? What would the church look like in another 100 years' time? That's what we need to start to look at. Because I believe this is an hour where there's a redefining of the body of Christ. And all that we do our children and our grandchildren is going to begin to build yeah. till the Lord comes. Should the Lord come before that? Praise the Lord. Amen. But till he comes, we need to pay, continue doing what he has asked us to do. Yeah. And so we pray that the next hundred years will be full of fresh revelation. Because the Bible says, to him that overcomes, I will give to him to eat of the hidden man. That means there are still some truths that are yet to be revealed to the body of Christ. And so we should be in pursuit of those truths. We should be in pursuit of those hidden mysteries. Those divine revelations that can shift the body of Christ. But it has to find its foundations in doctrine. Sound doctrine. Sound people that are living according to the word of the Lord. Understanding how that is fleshed out. Because you cannot put revelation upon poor doctrine. If we don't have an understanding of the foundations, no matter how beautiful the bricks that we use yeah. on the building, it will crack yes. yeah. after time. And if, when you immediately put it up, it may look beautiful, but because of the, the, the poor workmanship will only be seen in time. Yeah. So understand this, even in your home, in your marriage, wherever, whatever in your life, Understand you're building not for now, you're building for the long term. When you get there, may God help us. Yeah. Amen. Let's just bow our heads together. Father, we give you praise, glory, and honor. So we come as a body of Christ. Now we come even as a family of God and we submit to God. We submit to your will, to your way, to your plan, and to your desire for our lives. Father, we pray today that you would have your way in our lives. Correct the things of God that needs correcting. Align the things that needs alignment. Oh God, pour in fresh grace. So we humble ourselves before you, Father. Acknowledging that we didn't get it right all the time. But you that gives grace to the humble. To you that is able to restore, Father, restore us. We pray that our prayers will never be go unanswered. Our cries before you, you said, call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will hear and answer you. Father, I pray, God, remove the spirit of selfishness. Remove the spirit of covetousness where we covet what our brother and our sister has. 
break the spirit of envy and strife. Father, I pray, O oh God, that these inner conflicts within us remove it, bring us to a place of peace. Father, that we would not just live a life just for selfish desire and pleasures and fulfillment, but we'll come to the place where we will see the full hand of God. Bless us, Lord, as we continue. Bless us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen.